As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. It's definitely a full-blown crisis now. You can take one or two hits, but when you take hit after hit, it becomes quite hard to bounce back every time. Welcome to this edition of the On Farm podcast, where On Farm stands for Food, Agriculture and Rural Matters. It's Monty here for this episode, and you probably know by now that if you're a regular listener, it's usually myself or Anna who present the pods. And we also have producer Dave. But for this chat, Dave's with me. Hi, Dave. Hi, Monty. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Dave, quite a lot of what we do on the pod is is trying to be optimistic and upbeat. And we want On Farm to be the voice that talks up Scottish agriculture, you know, puts the industry's best foot forward. But sometimes we've actually got to focus in. And the chat we're going to share in this episode, it's a bit of an alarm bell, isn't it? It's a warning. There's a key part of Scottish agriculture needing a bit of support. I think that's right, Monty. Yeah, um, I recently visited Angus and the farm of James Porter. He's a he's a well well Kent name in Scottish agriculture. Lots of people know him, know him from his work with NFU Scotland. We'll let him introduce himself and talk a bit more about what he does in a minute. But I thought it was worth a chat with you beforehand, but just to set a bit of context, because yep. it's a slightly different feeling episode this time. Um, it's really not an upbeat interview we've got in this episode. It's actually quite quite gloomy to be honest looking at how rising costs this is all stuff we know about right stuff that's in the news all the time rising costs increasing uncertainty squeeze on the prices that supermarkets are offering to growers and how these are causing you know real problems real anxiety for not just fruit growers obviously but that's the perspective that James Porter is coming at this from in this episode and he's looking ahead to a 2023 where people like him, fruit growers, vegetable growers, might be better off growing less, leaving polytunnels and fields empty, and perhaps taking less of a risk with their capital. We've already heard the word right at the top of the program there. He calls this a, a crisis that their sector of the industry is facing. And the other thing we need to understand, Monty, is that where he is in Angus, that kind of area around Perthshire and Dundee, Blair Gowrie, all that kind of neck of the woods. That's kind of Scotland's most well-regarded and historic fruit-growing area. Uh, they're looking at growing much less, while as a country, we're probably going to be importing more fruit and veg from overseas. It's a tragedy. It's You know, you talk about crisis. Um, that's the, James's words, as we'll come on to, but it, it it's actually tragic to hear that you know we we need to 
we need to boost business, we need to boost the nation's health, and we should be eating more fruit and veg. I'm, I'm, it's, it's Scottish great. fruit and veg. Monty. Scottish fruit and veg. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rather than than importing. I mean, I guess you know, from from my own perspective, we uh, having listened to to your interview with James and, and what's coming up, I feel the same pressures, and I'm sure farmers across the sectors feel the same pressures. But you know, something that we've never really touched on on on-farm is the soft fruit sector. And I think it's great. And I hope listeners will have more of an insight into it. What better person to speak to about it than James Porter? So with that in mind, this is the plan. Um, These sorts of episodes, well, they might not be the most upbeat. They're not going to be a one-off. We need to really speak to people like James Porter to get just more of a feeling for the challenges ahead. And we're going to keep at this as a theme in 2023. We're going to be speaking to more producers and more people in the food chain like James. I think we have to, don't we, Monty? We have to just keep abreast of the difficult issues that the various sectors across Scottish farming are facing. Like, if we don't do that, what are we for as a Scottish farming podcast? But for now, here's James Porter. When I went to visit him, I found him. It was quite late in the evening. He was in his farm office. Everybody else had gone home, but it's fair to say... He had quite a bit on his mind. We grow a lot of soft fruit, but also uh, cereals, potatoes, and we have beef cow herd as well. I'm also director of Angus Soft Fruits and chair of Ringlink Scotland. So very much into that kind of cooperative side of business as well, which we... We talk to SAOS quite a lot on 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 farm. It, you know, it's really part of the infrastructure, isn't it? Tell me about your business here. Tell me about you know what's around us. You've mentioned that you, you've got soft fruit and cereals. What yeah. what are you growing? Well, we we grow uh, primarily in the soft fruit side. We grow strawberries, um, but we also have uh, twenty acres of blueberries. Cereal wise, we grow uh, wheat, barley. We have uh, field beans in the rotation, oilseed rape. We also have grass in there as well because we're on a raised beach here, very close to the sea. We run right down to the sea. We like to have a bit of grass in there just to kind of stabilise everything. And we've got a herd of uh, blue-grey cows that we we carve to a Charolais bull and uh, finish all the progeny as well. So it's a real mixed farm, which you don't see much of in this neck of the woods nowadays. We were having a little chat before we hit record, and it's fair to say everything isn't roses just <laughs> at the moment. We're sitting here in your office, and you're scratching your head a bit, aren't you, about um, politics, business, the future? Just fill us in. What what's happening? What you know? What are the yeah. the issues that are on your mind at yeah. the moment? Yeah, yeah. I know it's hard to know where to start, really. Um, but I guess. We have got issues with pricing with retailers and seasonal worker availability. And yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a long list. <laughs> um, just for context, this year we negotiated a, a wage increase of around 7% with our customers. And they agreed which is, to Which that. is the supermarkets. Yeah, the supermarkets. And they agreed to that. They, you know, they could just pass it straight on. And they didn't mind selling less because they were getting paid more for it. But at the end of the day, what it did mean was that the sales fell off a cliff. You know, it's, it's remarkable when you put the price of fruit up, how 
people just don't buy it as much. And that meant that although we sold 96% of our crop at that 7% increase, there was about 4% that we had to offload onto the wholesale market at knockdown prices. And that brought the overall average down to below the wage rise that we had negotiated. So we were actually worse off than if we hadn't negotiated a price rise. So I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's, that's the fact. We're going to have to ask for more money next year. So there's going to be even less fruit sold, especially when you look at, you know, it's, it's a really tough time for everyone. We're about to go into recession. So I'm not particularly hopeful that sales will be massive in soft fruit next year. Sorry about all the numbers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep up with the mathematics. Yeah, yeah not, not yeah. my strong point. Um, yeah. But I, it is very clear, not just from what you're saying, but also from the way you're saying it, this sounds genuinely I, yeah. like a crunch point. I, yeah, I, look, I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I agree with you. You don't want to be seen as a moaner, and I'm not moaning because, you know, we, we'll just batten down the hatches and do less of that and try and, you know, just grow more cereals and potatoes or whatever if we have to. We'll find a way through for us. But I think it's a real shame if produce, not just soft fruit, but fruit and veg in Scotland, it doesn't, if there isn't more of it, because we need more of it, not less. You know, it is a fact. And, I, you know, I'm very aware that there are growers, and I might well be among them, who will have empty tunnels next year that will just sit and do nothing. They've got all the structures there with the tabletops there, but we, we know that at these prices... We, we won't make it, we'll lose more money by putting something in there than if we don't. So it's, it's just a, a plain fact. What you're presenting is quite a complicated landscape of kind of levers and buttons and yeah. things that can be adjusted. You know, the example you gave there of negotiating a 7% price increase with the supermarkets, probably thought you were doing all right. The unintended consequence of that was th things got worse. Mm. What can be done? What levers can be pulled to alleviate some of that pressure? Yeah. What would you like, for example, Scottish government to do differently? Well, I'll come to Scottish government if you like, but I, I could probably f just to finish up on the retailers. Um, I think that going forward, I think we need to scale back a bit as growers and I think it will happen naturally with people dropping out and just doing a bit less because they'll realize they're not going to make a margin and then it will find its level at some point I guess but that will be a pity. I think the other thing that retailers could do particularly is if they want to secure UK production and not bring in grapes from um, Brazil or cherries from Morocco in the middle of our season, which they did this year, then they need to commit well in advance to taking a crop from us. You know, I can lock in, I can lock in my wheat a year ahead. I can lock in my potatoes all on contract. I won't grow an acre of tatties that isn't on a contract now. But when it comes to soft fruit, I can get a commitment on a price, but they wouldn't necessarily commit to taking the whole crop. So unless we get a solid commitment that they will take this amount of tons at this price, I can't commit to buying plants, which I have to commit to a year before and no, not know what, 
what I'm going to get for them because it's it's sort of big numbers, Dave. You know, it's not it's not like oh we can have a go at this anymore. It's big numbers that can bring businesses down. So the, so, the money you're committing, yeah, 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 yeah. It's and and you know the losses you can make is it's you know it's eye watering. So anyway, that's the retailers. I think they need to show some commitment if they want it, or it just won't be there. And um, Scottish government, I, I guess they could have brought in the ban on promoting junk food, which English government had originally put forward and it had been agreed to, then English government decided not to do it, and Scottish government then withheld as well. But they could they could easily have done that, and I think it could have had some kind of an impact on consumption of fresh produce. I think it was a good it was a good idea and it and they've canned it just you know because it's it's an easy option for them to do that so that was one thing i think also you know we need as much support for produce as we can as we can get now it's it's a really important sector in scottish agriculture and it needs all the help it can get from government right now which i suspect a lot of the focus will be on on the hills and and livestock because that's the general that's what most farmers in Scotland are I mean most people who listen to this podcast probably are you know livestock farmers that may be true but you'll also I'm sure be quick to point out that berries and jam is an absolutely central part of mm. Scottish identity particularly this part of Scotland mm. You know, what is it they say? Jam, jute and journalism. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I suppose the history was back in the day and around the sort of Blair Gary area, there's a lot of raspberry growing there. It's not so much anymore, sadly. But yeah, it, this this is the core sort of Tayside and Fife is where, you know, I guess 90% of soft fruit production in Scotland is. And a lot of the a lot of the veg as well. You know, the estate that we're on here, the original estate, Pam Muir, has 20% of the grade one land in Scotland on it. So yeah, it, the climate's perfect for growing fruit and veg here. And um, I think I think if you look at uh, production, uh, the, in terms of numbers, um, fruit and veg in Scotland production has a value of around 350 million and over 100 million of that is soft fruit. So. You know, it's a big chunk of the of agriculture. It's about ten percent of of Scottish agriculture, and um, we need to eat more of it. I think we're eating, on average, three of our five a day that we're meant to eat. And um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of lost opportunity there. So I think it's a vital cog in the wheel, if you like, and I think it is recognised. People know that, but it doesn't necessarily always get the actual recognition it, it needs. Yeah. Just to sort of, I suppose, underline what you're saying there, you know, you've talked about cherries being imported from Morocco. Yeah. Meanwhile, here in this part of Scotland, which is ideal for growing fruit, you're going to have empty 
empty tunnels and, and, and bare fields. Yeah, we will. I, I, I think it's guaranteed there will be less production next year because people just can't take a risk on putting in certain varieties, certain crops that might have been viable in the past but are now marginal or they know we'll make a loss on. So um, I think it's pretty much guaranteed there'll be empty tunnels next year. If you want there to be any production at all, people need to start taking a serious look at how they're going to support it. That goes from retailers to government to unions to everyone. So, yeah, it's definitely a full-blown crisis now. We you know we've had sort of one hit after another. You go from Brexit to COVID to the war in Ukraine, and now we've got this cost-of-living crisis that's sort of connected with that. You know, you can take one or two hits, but when you take hit after hit, it's it becomes quite hard to bounce back every time. Right. Do you know, I was going to use the word crisis earlier in one of my questions and I pulled up short. I thought I won't put that word in James's mouth yeah, no, because I, I so I used crunch time instead. Yeah, yeah. But you volunteered it. This uh, is this is a crisis. Yeah, yeah. It's an absolute crisis. And I think I don't think enough people are listening. You know, I don't think I don't think Scottish government are listening. I think they're listening, but they're, I think they maybe think, you know, oh, they'll be okay. I'm sure they'll manage fine. It's not the case. We're in, we're in deep trouble, I would say. And, you know, I'll still be here. I'll still be farming, but I think it'd be a real shame if, you know, there's a loss of, there's a lot of local employment uh, as well as ask, seasonal how, employment. How many people do you employ? We employ around 15 people full time here. In fact, it's probably 17, actually. So they're here all year round. They live here. So it, it would have a huge impact on Scottish economy, Scottish agriculture, and uh, also the health of the, the country. Yeah, because yeah, it's right here, and it's the food we're supposed to be eating. <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah, actually, yeah. it's you know, you feel like you... You must feel like you're banging your head against walls at every yeah, every time. You know, I, I don't know. I spent a lot of time going down south to England, going on parliamentary committees when I was more involved with NFU Scotland. And, you know, every, you could never get anyone to disagree with you, but nothing ever happened. And it just, that's what it's been like for years now. I know that uh, they're debating the seasonal agricultural workers scheme for next year at the moment down south. And I think there's a good chance they'll agree that we should get the 60,000 extra workers that we need every year for the whole of the UK. But I have heard that the Home Office are are pretty um, fired up about making sure that the, the minimum wage for those seasonal workers is is higher than the minimum wage. They know, they recognise that we need them, but they're going to make it difficult for us. See, that would be an interesting thing for them to try to sell to the general public. Not only a... Okay, let's think about your Daily Mail reader. You're sort of, you know, they're letting in overseas workers and insisting they get paid more? Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's a really weird one, isn't it? Because you think, well... But the reality is you can't really pay them more and then not pay the people that are there more as well. So you end up having to pay everyone more. Gosh, I mean, we try to be upbeat and positive on the podcast, but, you know, there's not a lot. I mean, you know, the only thing I can think of to say is is an old saying, isn't there, is that tough times make for better farmers. Oh, yeah, sure. Look, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what might happen is 
we will grow a lot less, but it'll be really high quality, which it already is, to be fair. We do a lot of our our, our strawberries go into premium lines in M&S and Sainsbury and Aldi and so on. And, um, you know, we'll get a premium price for that fruit and it'll cost a bomb and we'll just do a little bit less of it. So we'll find our, we'll find, we'll navigate our way through this whole thing. But I don't think necessarily that, you know, some of the, some growers will definitely drop out, I'm sure, because they just won't, it's, 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 you know, it's pretty stressful. It's quite hard and it's got harder. So some will drop out, uh, whoever's left will survive and, and find a way through it. And we've got some great varieties, great, you know, that's the one, you know, you're asking for positive things. We've got great, great fruit, you know, we grow really lovely, perfect fruit. So we can back ourselves that we'll sell some of it at least, but it won't be for the masses. It'll be, you know, it'll be a treat or it'll be a small, small amount. And that's a shame. I agree. Yeah, hundred percent. You want it in every school alongside the milk that gets yeah. given out to kids, don't you? you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you look at the health health issues we've got as a country. I think something like, I mean, it's a mad number. There's something like fifty percent of kids are are on you know on the sort of overweight level, and the whole thing's nuts. And then you add on all the the mental health issues and heart conditions and so on to that. I mean, the cost must be something like two billion a year to us as a country. It's really, we're just not thinking about it the right way. Gosh, well, look, we should, we should start to draw things to a close. But I was reminding myself before I came to see you that the, the last time we saw you for the On Farm podcast was, I think it must have been 2020 at the NFU Scotland conference in Glasgow it was, it was one of the first dozen or so episodes that we ever put out and I remember you saying at the time you know Brexit's a disaster mm. migrant workers and seasonal workers are going to be in short supply yeah you were absolutely right and and things have got tougher and and you know hearing you speak today it just sounds like you're you've got wave upon wave mm. coming at you in the industry yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, you know, Brexit was. I think it's pretty much cl- clear now to most people, if you, if you're honest with yourself, that it has been a disaster. I haven't seen any benefits on on my side so far, anyway. Um, I, do, I don't want to be too negative, you know. I, I, I think, I think it's just frustrating when the people that are meant to be helping you are not helping you, and that's the most frustrating part. I know, you know, we can get. We can take risks or have problems with weather and with, with you know, crops and so on and all of that. And we can we can deal with all that. But, you know, the most frustrating thing for me when I've been involved with NFU, with policy and everything, is dealing with governments that they say you, they want to help you, but they just throw hurdles in your way and barriers in your way. And, and, and I think governments are really not commercial. You know, we need to get more commercial and start sort of realizing how the country runs. And it runs when businesses work and you're meant to facilitate business, not hinder it. So I guess that that would be the most frustrating part for me. But, you know, I'm still very lucky. I live on a farm and, in the you know, in the beautiful countryside and I'm a lot luckier than 99 percent of people. I'll still be, 
you know, plodding on. And I'm not too depressed, Dave, don't worry. <laughs> well, no, I just think I just think that, you know, these things that you're bringing to our attention, the things that you're talking about, it's a, a crisis. You've called it that. We've talked about some yeah. of the levers that need to be pulled or pushed yeah. and changed. Yeah. I think we can take some of those things, at least to the Scottish government, and and see what they say. You know, we've yeah. kind of got to yeah. give them the right to re respond to well, some well, of this no, stuff. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, uh, give them a due. At least you can speak to them. You know, you can communicate with them and they'll listen to you. I just, I just think, you know, it's the action we need now. Um, to support these things and a lot of these things are very doable it's just you know we need we need some sort of common sense i think james porter thank you very much indeed for your time it's a pleasure dave great to see you again so that was james porter at east scrawny in angus james is also a director of angus soft fruits and chair of ringlink scotland and he was talking to our own farm producer dave howard as we said, this wasn't and isn't the most upbeat edition of On Farm, but there are some very important issues raised. So we'll stick with this theme and the broader issues discussed in the early part of next year. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Farm. Just your usual reminder, On Farm is made by our team here at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. You can chat to us anytime about any aspect of rural PR, comms and marketing. So that's it from me and bye for now.